0: This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the inspirational, informational, and transparent
1: Aviation Careers Podcast. I just returned from a trip, a red eye from... Los Angeles. You know, while I was on the overnight, I visited the Flight Path Museum and Learning Center right there at the airport. I created a short video about my visit with an interesting technical question about the arrival and the approach. If you're thinking of working for the airlines or are instrument rated and you're just looking at a challenge, please watch the video. Uh, We actually are going to discuss that in an upcoming episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. And that's one of the uh, little things that we've been doing on the other podcasts, the General Aviation Podcast. This is a uh, instrument question, so I thought it'd be interesting for you folks, for the audience. Well, anyway, uh, really appreciate your joining me today. I am back. I have one day off, and then I start a five-day trip. As some of you know, a little insight into the airline industry. I try to pack my trips into a small period, and then what I do is I go out and I... Uh, have lots of days off. So there's some challenges with that. I just did a four day trip with a couple of red eyes. And then I had one day off. That's it. And another I have a five day trip coming up with a couple of red eyes in there. So it could really wear you out. The the good and the bad about the red eyes, uh, just, you know, for some insight into the career. On a red-eye, when I'm finishing a trip on a red-eye, it it gives you the opportunity for two different things. Number one, you can actually commute on the end, or number two, if you live in base, it gives you basically a whole day off. Now, with that said, you have to sleep. So what happens? Well, I came back from the trip and uh, went to sleep for about three, four hours, and I was pretty rested before the trip, but I definitely needed a nap, got up. You know, showered, went over and uh, had to uh, coach the flight team like I do during the day and then came back and did an interview preparation. So I was pretty wore out after that. Uh, but this was on my quote unquote day I worked, which was uh, so it gives you an opportunity when you do a red eye, finish at six in the morning. That's what I did to have a whole day ahead of you. But you do need to, f- to sleep. So tomorrow I start another trip where it ends with a, a night flight, not so much a red eye, more like a pink eye, as we say. finishes a, I think around midnight or one in the morning for me, but I'm really excited for that. Heading out to the west coast again. Uh, hopefully, I'll give a couple more videos. If you get a chance, check out uh, the video I did. It's going to be a link at the bottom of the podcast here, and uh, we're trying to do that more with the Stuck Mike Avcast. And for those of you that are into aviation, general aviation, this would be interesting to you. Uh, I know sometimes we're involved in our careers, we kind of forget about all the other fun things we do. One of the great things about my job is the fact that I get to go travel to all these places and visit all these different museums. And what I've been trying to do now is try to visit more aviation, aerospace-related museums and venues so that maybe I can bring you folks some interesting uh, different topics that you can talk about or just things that you might want to visit while you're in an area you may not even know about it. You know, for instance, uh, one in Los Angeles. It's the only airport museum on a major airport, and it's right there on the south side of the field. A lot of people don't even know about it. If you're on a layover, go over there and check it out. It's really cool. Anyway, a couple of announcements. Uh, you can go find the aviationcareerspodcast.com slash courses. You can find the scholarships guide and all the other uh, technical courses out there. Visit aviationcareerspodcast.com slash courses to discover more. Uh, also, one other thing I wanted to mention. I think this was a comment that was made to me recently about my talking about uh, commuting, So I, I do want to talk a little bit about the positives of commuting because of the fact that I don't do it, but I have friends here locally that do it. So I wanted to get uh, some people and input from pilots that are here so that I can relate to my specific, you know, traveling and my commuting needs so that I can show you the other side of the coin. So after talking to those people that are here locally at my airport and discussing the commuting option, they're all commuters, why they are not based here in the local base and they commute to another base. So that was my question to all those people. Just to sum up the different answers that I received from them, number one, uh, well, this is kind of obvious. A, A big answer was, well, I can't hold captain here in this base. And I said, well, then if you want to be captain, you do have to commute because the base where I'm located is a really senior, senior base. So that's one reason you'd want to go ahead and commute. The other reason you would want to go commute is the fact that you still get better trips in this other more junior base. And that's what another person said is they have better trips. Better trips is one other reason that people will commute. So in commuting up to say a base, usually it's New York because that's usually the junior bases in general with airlines. And one of the reasons they do that is that they can get very efficient trips and also they can get the trips that end early in the morning and start later at night. So for instance, they can commute up the same day and get home the same day. So they're basically working the same number of days. They don't have to lose any days in commuting. So I know I've said this a lot in the past, and I want to make sure I press the fact that commuting is good for certain people. It does take away some time, though. So, for instance, if you have to go to New York and get there at 10 p.m., you may have to leave at noon to get to work at 10 p.m. and then work all night. So that's the downside to commuting, but it also works out for a lot of people. Now, when I talked about having a more efficient trip, what does that mean? So sometimes in bases where it's uh, more senior and bases where people want to go, you may not get the trips that you want that are higher paying. Because remember, we're paid by the hour, so therefore, yeah, we get a minimum pay, say it's you know three, five hours, whatever it is per day, but you want to sometimes do better than that. So in certain bases, maybe their trips average, say seven hours or eight hours a day of pay, which is pretty darn good. So that might be something you look at and say, hey, wait a minute, I'm gonna commute to a base that pays better, I can get commutable trips, My seniority is enough to get those commutable trips. That's why I do that. In being in a more senior base and being home, the other reason, okay, there's another reason people do not do that, is they'll have to be on reserve. So they commute so they can hold a line, so they can have a regular schedule. So why is that important? Well, another thing is when you're on reserve, you usually don't have as many days off as if you're a line holder. So they've done the math. These people that decided to commute, to commute to a regular line, and they say, okay, I actually will get the same number of days off as if I was commuting, uh, or excuse me, if I was in base. I have the same number of days off as I was in base, but, uh, well, you know, in, in being on reserve in base, but, you know, maybe this is, uh, you know, something to think about. I'd have to have a crash pad in case I see it stuck there, but I do have commutable trips. This is what's going through the mind of somebody that's doing that. So here's the difference on the third person is that they... Decide to commute to another base because if they stay in their base near their home, they're going to be on reserve. So there's another thing to think about. Commuting to reserve, and you've heard me talk about it. You've heard other people talk about commuting to reserve is it's a challenge, let's say. Some people don't mind it too much, but... It it really is a pain because you know you work on your reserve, you're on call, you don't know when you're going to work, you have to be there for your reserve period, uh, so you actually wind up working more hours, making less pay on reserve, and you know when you're commuting to reserve, that means you're gonna have less days off to make the same amount of money. I'd say usually getting off reserve, you get to see a good twenty percent bump in pay, uh, just because your trips are more efficient, working the same number of days. And you can even do more. You can see a 50% bump on pay because if you work and do the same number of days off, you'll wind up working the same amount, working more days because you're not commuting, but you're also making more money, which is really cool. So for instance, uh, say you have 12 days off as a reserve pilot, and that's it. As a line holder, you're able to hold 15 days off. That gives you you know, three more days of, of work that you could do if you wanted to in your base as a regular line holder. And I know that there's are, these are nuances here uh, as far as commuting and, and being in base. I love being in base, obviously, but also there's people that like to commute. They like to commute because of the trips that they get. You know, honestly, I look at my situation, I say to myself, you know, I would love to go back to doing those trips out of, say, the New York base that we have or some of the other bases that we have. I, I miss going down to Central America. I miss going to the, to certain places in the Caribbean that we don't go to in this base. But these are decisions I made because I want to be able to grow the podcast and help you folks out. I have more days off, so the way I I do it is for the podcast. If I was being a little more selfish, yeah, I would probably uh, commute every so often. Another thing that people do, this is just another side on the commuting thing to think about and to look at when you're looking at an airline, and this is kind of thinking outside the box a little bit. Most people don't do this, and people uh, you know, see me <laughs> bidding at the airline I work for, they laugh at me because I'm one of those people that bounces around bases. People just have no idea where I'm based. I've done three bases in one year. I do uh, kind of a, uh, like a snowbird type of thing. Uh, actually, I was doing the reverse snowbird type of thing. Uh, where I'd go north in the winter and south in the summer. Uh, it actually worked out best for me to visit family and things like that. But think about this: if you have a, you know you have an airline that has a base near where you live, and you know it's a super senior base. you'll never hold captain of that base or it won't be for another 10 to 20 years before you hold captain of that base. But there's that opportunity. But there's another base that has great trips that you can commute to, then maybe do it part- time. Many airlines, you know, it it all depends what airline you work for. I know getting this information is going to be difficult uh, because you have to look at people's contracts, et cetera. Um, But if you're at an airline that allows you to bid, say, every six months, bid a base every six months, say you go and you bid, say, a a base up north in the summer and a base down south in the winter, then you can go back and forth as much as you want. So you can go up north and then come back down south. Uh, This actually works better for those people that are senior. And here's the issue. Here's the problem with that. I know uh, I'm going to get some uh, feedback on this one. If you do commu- if you do change your base, say, to a junior base, getting back to a senior base could take you a long time. I'm a good example of that. Uh, went to New York, then decided to move back to a base that was close to me. It took me about a year and three months to get back to the base I wanted to get to because it's all about the bidding process. You bid for a base, you get that base. Uh, If things are stagnant for a while in the base that you want to go to next after that, then you're not going to get there for a while. So these are things to think about. Think about this in your head. Where do I want to work and what airline do I want to work for? Interesting shift, by the way, uh, just as my last note there, interesting shift in our attitudes towards commuting and towards the airlines. And I've seen this over the years in the people that I speak with when they're choosing airlines and you know, this is an important part of, of choosing that airline is commuting, is the fact that people are choosing airlines for locations. You know, Years ago, it did not matter. If you got hired by an airline that was 2,000 miles away, you went because it was so hard to get a job. Now things have changed, and hopefully that will stay that way for a while. We have a good, robust economy, but that can always change. So this is what you have to look at and start looking at the basis and start looking at where do I want to live and if you have a base and an airline that's near you, that's terrific. It, does, it is a game changer. But with that said, uh, many people say, hey, I don't want to work for the airline that's based right here in my backyard. I want to work for a different airline. And that's good for them. That works for them. So that's a choice you have to make. These are all those, pro- that whole, and the reason I'm going through this cycle is I want you to think about those things when you start processing in your mind which airline you want to work for. Anyway, hopefully that's helpful, uh, that little discussion I had about going to base. I know it was a little confusing there. Different examples. Like I said, I like to ask people uh, locally why they're commuting and uh, got some positive feedback. Uh, and by the way, uh, every one of them said, yeah, if the base had what I wanted, I'd be staying here. If the base enabled me to be a captain or enabled me to do trips or hold a line, I definitely would stay here. Uh, so that that's not a question, obviously. So uh, anyway, hope I got that impression through. Anyway, let's move on. we got a couple of questions uh, to be answered here I have a, uh, and uh, some email. Feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Please send me your emails and your questions. Uh, I may not actually answer you directly. We have a whole staff of people that reads through the emails and uh, and also if you have something specific you want to talk about with me uh, you can also sign up for our coaching and that's at aviationcareerspodcast.com you can click on the courses and the coaching is within those courses there another question i get is by the way do i do interview prep and resume review i do Uh, i try to limit it to uh, the coaching clients uh, we've gotten so busy that uh, we've been trying to bring on people that are I'm um, bringing through the whole process. But we will do the uh, interview prep. Uh, the problem with the interview prep is usually it's a last-minute thing, and my current coaching clients actually have my email. They have my personal phone number, and we can schedule things because uh, most of the time my schedule is booked, but uh, you may I may actually be able to get you in even though my schedule is booked if something cancels, that type of thing. Uh, but that doesn't show up online. So they contact me directly, and that's what happens there. So if you are thinking about it, go to the coaching section of the website. Anyway, very reasonable, by the way, as far as the price is concerned, just like an hour of instruction uh, at a flight school. All right, moving on to the questions. Our first question says, uh, thanks for your podcast. They are super helpful and eye-opening. I'm purchasing your scholarships guide as well. Very much thanks. I've emailed Dan from Accelerated Flight School Podcast, and he's been a tremendous help as well. Found him in your career podcast." I'm getting the ball rolling on going to an accelerated flight school. Uh, actually, it's ATP in Jacksonville. Is what seems to be work out best for my current situation. Contacting you because I want your honest opinion on ATP. I'll be going street to seat, no private license or previous certifications. I've immersed myself in reading and listening to the podcast on this process. The negatives have not steered me away yet. Still want to pursue this dream as a career. The main reasons for ATP in the Florida locations are great weather, faster time to complete the program, Ease of paying, they have financing through college loans and not needing all the cash up front. Hope to hear your take on ATP and possible other options. Well, you kind of answered your own question there. Uh, You have to look at what is best for you when you're going out there and you're trying to look for an airline and look for a job and look how to get to that point. You you gotta look at your own situation like we're talking about. In your case, it's training. So you look at your situation and you say to yourself, well, it's good for me because good weather, ease of pain, they have the financing, all those things come in the line. Uh, If you went somewhere else, you may not have the financing options that they have And that is a big bonus. So you have to look at everything. As far as my opinion on specific schools, and that one comes up the most because they're biggest in the United States as far as the the collegiate or excuse me, the academy type training. I'm switching my terms, by the way. Uh, I'm calling these larger schools more the academy-type schools. So ATP is like an academy school. The reason being is that they're not really the traditional FBO where you go and you rent a plane, you buy a plane, you know, you get your licenses, that type of thing. So these are more aviation academies. Um, as far as this one in particular, here's the thing about a large school. And it's not just ATP but some of the other schools that are out there. You have to look at the specific location and you talk to people there uh, that have actually gone through it. It And this is just the way life is. You have one person that has a really bad experience there. They may have had a bad instructor while they were there. That instructor is gone, that's number one. Number two, that situation, that type of school just didn't work out for them. And that was another thing you might see negatives about. Then you go to the other side and you have positives. And, and I know lots of people that have both negatives and positives to say about every school. And those are the people that say, hey, listen, I, got, I went there, I got my ratings, got through quickly, was able to get hired right away, got on with the airlines very quickly, and it worked out for me. Um, it's uh, interesting. Uh, I'll give you a good aside. One of the folks that is at our airline, uh, where I work right now, will be the number one pilot When he retires, he also, was a student of mine, helped him out with an instrument rating. So it's kind of interesting to see uh, what happens here. The end goal, yes, is to get get the ratings and move on to the airlines as quick as possible. Do they do a good job of that? Oh, yeah, of course. And uh, as far as the partnerships with airlines, uh, most airlines have partnerships with schools. So uh, that's good. I mean, they are there. It's a big big school, and those are are good points to have. So those are appealing aspects. uh, But... Really, you have to look at your specific uh, viewpoint as far as commenting on directly on a specific school and say, yay, nay, this is good and bad. I know Flight Training Magazine has some really good uh, input as far as the rankings of the schools and things like that. I haven't gotten into that. I would like to do that, but you have to understand uh, the fact that there are so many flight schools out there and everybody get, is getting in the flight training business like overnight because it's just a you know there's such a, sh- a pilot shortage here in the United States and, and uh, somewhat worldwide and because of the great economy so when the economy turns of course a lot of those bigger uh, academies either fold up or they shrink and we've seen this play out over and over again so uh, anyway I hope that's helped you answer your question uh, specifically about the school uh, like I said I any school i could any school i can name i get good and bad feedback it all depends on your situation what's best for you in this case it seems like all the things are coming together so this might be the best option um, but, uh, anyway, to talk more, obviously for this individual, there's, uh, we're talking in generalities. There's much more that's very specific to your situation. That's the reason I started the coaching. Cause there's obviously many things I can't talk about here. If you notice that I don't talk about the airline I work for, I don't talk about my job. I don't even take pictures at my job. People always ask me that. Why don't you take videos while you're flying? The only time I take videos when I'm flying is when I'm flying GA, and the reason being is because of the fact that, you know, we have these social media policies. We have electronic policies in the cockpit. I can't just sit there. You know, I can't sit there and read my Kindle. It's a good good example. So how am I going to take a picture in the cockpit, right? And you have to realize most airlines are like that. Um, you see, and I get it. I know you see the YouTube videos. There's other folks out there doing it. Uh, there's other situations that they have. Most of the major airlines in the United States, that's where I work, they don't allow that. They'll allow you to do that. You have to get permission from the flight operations department and uh, their social media. A lot of times they'll have you uh, allow you to do it if it's promoting their brand, that type of thing. Uh, but I don't do it because I have a specific uh, you know, podcast that's more in this realm of social media. Going back to that social media thing, another thing that I'd like to mention now is social media is so important, what you do and what you say in public. Um, you know, I've had people in the past and are working with people now that have uh, gotten in trouble with their airlines and have been terminated even uh, for certain things they've either said in public, done in public, did did on social media. Uh, Anytime, anytime you're in uniform and you're representing your job, even if you're not in uniform, you're representing your company, you're working for that company. And anything you say is construed by the public as being from the company that you work for. So XYZ airline you work for, if they know you work for XYZ or airline, whatever you say about that airline, it's like coming directly from that airline. So you are truly an ambassador for the airline you work for. It's all very specific about the brand. That's my advice there as far as social media, be very careful. And if you are an airline pilot, Uh, Be careful what you put on social media. That's like a lot of people don't share. And that's why I don't share it either. Even though the company I work for, they're very, uh, they really support what I'm doing and helping people move forward. And also, I I just have to go through a whole spiel when I talk about the company uh, as far as, you know, anything that I say, you know, doesn't isn't what from my company etc and blah 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 so i really don't like to do that disclaimer anyway uh another question let's get into one more question here maybe one or two more questions uh i'm considering an aviation as my career i'm currently enlisted for national service in singapore and have already started studying books i found online and is recommended by my pilot friend Looking for a scholarship in Australia that I can enroll into after a two-year compulsory national service. What I've come to realize is that flight schools are not providing scholarships, but different entities are doing so, and so I'm confused about how the scholarship programs work. I want to take an express route to flight school and begin my career as an aviation pilot. Also, do all scholarships programs come with a bond? Without our, your podcast, It would have become really difficult for me to find my path into the aviation industry as a pilot, as from the macroscopic scale. It seems so overwhelmingly complex with so many exams just to get the basic airline transport pilot license. Thank you so much. Wow, a lot of stuff to talk about here. Number one, scholarships. Yes, normally scholarships are provided by entities, by private entities that are willing to help people. The reason that they do this is they really want to help folks in aviation. They're the ones with the money. Many times the schools obviously cannot provide all those scholarships unless, say, they have a foundation within the school. Traditionally, that's at some of the larger institutions of learning, your universities, that type of thing. You normally find that. Uh, Where I am and where I volunteer at the local college, Polk State College, we have an entity that has scholarships, but it's a foundation. And it's actually outside the college, but it's part of the college. It's 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 run by the college, etc. But most scholarships in general, in life, in most places in the world are outside that entity if it's not the traditional university or the or the college or even some of the technical schools. I, I hope that makes sense because they're they're not that big. Okay. So you go to a local flight school they couldn't provide, you know, an eighty-five thousand dollar scholarship so you can get through their training. You know, they have to, to make money. So what they do is they tell you to go look for scholarships, kind of like what I've done with this guide, and that's the real reason we started doing this, is so that people that are going to their local flight school in the middle of the country in Australia, wherever it is, they'll be able to find these scholarships. One of the things that you have to realize, too, is that there's a whole process of going through the scholarships, and I know that the scholarships guide keeps growing tremendously. Uh, What I tell people to do is do the search function because it's electronic. We're going more towards a PDF file. Search for scholarships based on your situation, but don't ever discount anything that's in there. Uh, Click on, say, a flight training scholarship. You may find out that this is something that's good for you also. When you're looking at scholarships, looking to get paid for for the flight training, look into organizations that are large out there and and those out there that maybe you might wanna join. For instance, AOPA, uh, the International AOPA. You have things like Women in Aviation. They all are big organizations that give large uh, scholarships through scholarship donors and they're growing every year, which is absolutely terrific. So that's what's confusing. People think they go somewhere and they get a scholarship locally from a school. Uh, I understand that because that's traditionally what happens. You go to your college, you get a scholarship through the college, etc. But in this arena, most of the scholarships are coming through in uh, scholarships from outside entities. I mean, we have over fifty million dollars of scholarships available in our guide, and those are coming from individuals that want to give money, people that want to give money, say they're not affiliated with a school, and they want to help people. They can, you know, set up a scholarship through these organizations. And uh, here's another thing that happens: just a little inside baseball. It is expensive to actually administer a scholarship. It's just like, you know, nothing in life is free. Uh, you know, everything has a cost associated with it. If you have somebody administering a scholarship, uh, you have to pay that person because they have to eat, and they have to get to work, that type of thing. So uh, you're going to find that the larger organizations they actually have people on staff. That actually they pay just like colleges have people on staff. So there are certain economies of scale, and there's a point where yeah, we can't we can't afford to do a scholarship for you know a small business like mine. But I can actually partner with a larger entity like Women in Aviation. And say hey, I want to do the Aviation Careers Podcast uh, uh, scholarship, but through your organization because I don't want to administer it. So anyway, hope that's helped. Um, as far as bonds now, you, you know most of them do not come with a bond, but uh, many of them come with restrictions. The scholarships, as far as Um, When they say give you the money, do they give the money directly to you? These are things that the scholarship has to decide. I get those questions a lot from the people that are starting scholarships. You place the money out there, say you give them a certain amount of money, it goes directly to the school, then after they pass a certain part of their exams or do a certain amount of training, they keep releasing money. Some of the scholarships go to the school and say, hey, listen, give us the bill every month and we will pay that bill until the scholarship money uh, runs out. And you have to understand from the scholarship standpoint, they really want to make sure that the money goes directly towards the people that are actually using the scholarship. So they don't want to just kind of cut a check and then you go off and buy a car or something like that. Uh, so that's that's something they need to do. And it's important they do that because then there's more scholarship money available uh, for, to other people. And uh, another interesting thing, too, is that uh, many times scholarships go unused. People win them and they say, hey, I really don't need it anymore. So they send it back to the scholarship organization. So hopefully that's helped you. And uh, you're right. Uh, It is overwhelming uh, and complex if you look at the whole thing as far as from soup to nuts. In other words, if you go from beginning to end, how many licenses you'll have to get. So this this is another point that's important every single certificate that you take you're gonna have many different exams along the way there's pre solo written exams there's your private pilot exam your written exam then there's the flight test then you move on to your next uh, rating and you have different stage checks and exams along the way well I tell you what it doesn't end someone asked me the other day on average how much do you get tested at the airline uh, average, you take about one test or quiz every month. That's on average. So uh, do I take one literally every month? No. I mean, some months, uh, a good example is this month. Oh, my gosh. I, did, I uh, just went through training. I did an online uh, recurrent training also. So I may have had like... Uh, five different testing events or six in that period, just in the one month period. Next month I have nothing. So that's why I say it kind of averages out. So you're gonna be quizzed, tested for the rest of your career. There's not many other careers out there like this. We are constantly being tested and recertified and also (laughs) looked at so much than in this industry. So it's really important that you get used to that. Uh, I, you know, do I like going for training, recurrent training? Not until it's done. You know, I don't like going because you get nervous and you're like, oh, my gosh, I got to make sure I study. And usually what happens is you enjoy it afterwards, not during, because you know that, you know, your job's on the line. But, uh, but it is good. It's great training, but it's usually you talk about it being great after it's done because, of course, you know, anybody you're going in and being evaluated, you don't, uh, you get a little bit nervous about that. Anyway, let's look at one more question here. It says, Good evening to all the hosts of Aviation Careers Podcast. Before I give you my suggestion for a topic discussion on the podcast... I'd like to thank Mr. Valerian and all the other wonderful hosts for such informative inspirational content that you provide, which makes sitting at a desk at work a little more bearable. Well, I'm, you know, you're know, you welcome. I think it's great having all these other hosts on here. I'm glad it's inspiring you. Currently, I'm an 18-year-old high school student who just recently passed my private pilot check ride. Congratulations on that, by the way. I'm absolutely infatuated with every aspect of flying and would like to make it a career, hence why I'm attending Western Michigan University, where I pursue my degree in flight training. I always try to keep a positive outlook towards my future, but as I learn more about the airline industry, the harder staying positive gets. And this is a great question. I like this. I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this up. As I stated earlier, I can't see myself doing anything else in life, and every cell of my body is dedicated to making fly my career. Do you have any advice for young pilots on how to keep a positive and realistic outlook towards their future in such a cyclical industry? Thank you again for all you do, and have a great day. Absolutely wonderful question. Thanks so much for bringing this up. Uh, one of the issues at your age is that you've only seen such a positive trend in the airline industry. I know there's been certain downturns, and and you may not have been interested in that, in those as much because you're in high school, grammar school, that kind of thing. But you're starting to. The reason you're you're telling me this, I think, is that you're hearing the stories of the years of nobody hiring that type of thing. This is just, the cyclical nature of this industry is true throughout every industry. Every industry in the world is cyclical. Uh, There's not any industry that's not affected by the economy. So we have a really good economy. We've seen this happen in the past where we've had a shortage of pilots many years ago and, uh, you know, there's been ads in paper. Hey, become a pilot, you know, and get your private. We'll get you the rest, that type of thing. So as far as having a positive and realistic outlook, Just remember this, is that the more you plan, the more experience you get, uh, the better off you'll be in your career. And the reason being is this, number one, the more you plan let's talk about that making sure you have a good financial plan you know there's always the joke that pilots are really cheap well the reason pilots are cheap is because of the fact that they've seen the downturns they know that they're sitting there making 4 or 500,000 a year they know that could end tomorrow and the next year they're making nothing or they're making nothing for a few years uh, every airline can shut down nobody's immune to that uh, and and you've heard that so many i've heard that so many times from people this will never happen here Uh, We'll never see a recession. Let's not plan on that. And all of a sudden, there is a recession, and they're hit, you know, blindsided. And in certain cases, sometimes the whole airline of pilots is furloughed or laid off, that type of thing. So that's just the way it is. Um, So what you need to do is have a financial plan. Uh, We're not financial planners, but... I will say this, save your money. That's about all, you know, the biggest advice I can give you is make sure you're ready for the, you know, the bad days out there. Uh, and there's lots of really cool websites out there. As far as financial planning, uh, there's many good stuff. That's what I could suggest. Uh, one of them's is like uh, Rick Edelman is one that I love to listen to as far as getting started with actually saving money and having a plan there. Uh, so really, really think about that uh, and start doing the planning, not just in this career, any career. Okay, so let's look at the other side of that. Let's look at the pilot experience side of this and working towards your career. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it a million times, and and I know that somebody's going to listen to me out there. You need to get as many hours and as many ratings as you can, even during bad times, because someday there'll be a good time. See, we're looking at this through the lens of of a, an economy that's doing really well, and people are hiring, and there's a shortage, right? What's going to happen is there's going to be a downturn someday. I will guarantee you that. In the next 20 years, we're going to have a recession. That's my prediction. I know. That's a pretty broad prediction, isn't it? You don't know when it's going to happen. Nobody does. Uh, But you have to plan for that. So what do you do? You make sure that you make yourself competitive with your ratings and your experience. Again, make yourself competitive with your ratings and your experience. Okay? So what do I mean by that? There are certain times... And uh, you know I've seen this happen when I got started in the aviation world where say you wanted to go work for a regional airline. Regional airlines were hiring if you had between three and 5,000 hours uh, when I started out. three and 5,000 hours, that's actually what you need to get into a major these days. So the qualifications went up. Why? Because there was a glut of pilots out there. So what do you do so that you can actually make yourself competitive during a downturn you build your experience, you build on your ratings, so that when there is a downturn, you will actually be one of those at the forefront. I'll give you an example. As the downturn started, like say, on the last recession, there were airlines that continued to hire throughout the recession. Well, what happened, okay? Well, what happened is that they reduced their amount of hours they needed prior to the recession, said, okay, we we only need like 3,000 hours to get hired with XYZ Airline. Then when the recession hit, they said, no, we're going to bump that up to 5,000. Oh, by the way, we're not going to look at any applicants that don't have their bachelor's degree because what happens is as you get a flood of applicants, you start putting these search criteria in there and say, okay, weed out anybody that doesn't have a bachelor's, that doesn't have an associate's, that doesn't have 5,000 hours. Weed out the people that don't have jet time, that don't have turbine time, and you continue from there. So that's what happens. That's why I say the most important thing is to get experience and work on your ratings and get as many hours as you can so that you'll be competitive during the next downturn. And you know, you've probably listened to people talk that said they've never had any issues in their career. They've never seen a downturn. There's no, uh, nothing that's ever happened to them. Uh, and it's, it's those people that have gotten lucky. I guess I'll say that, but they're not just luck they said to themselves, I'm gonna get as many ratings as I can, I'm gonna move forward and keep moving forward with my career. Because if you don't get yourself into this career and you keep saying to yourself, well, the is gonna turn bad, I'm not gonna get involved with it, then you'll continue on forever doing that. And then when you're 40 or 50 years old, you're gonna to say to yourself, hey, listen, I should've tried that years ago because I see my friends now that are 40 and 50 years old that have been doing this career for 20, 30 years and they're, they're pretty happy. Say you're in an airline, another example, you're in an airline, and uh, there's a downturn and you're you're one of the people that were hired many many years ago there's a big layoff well it may not affect you that's it's happened to me i was in an airline i got laid off uh, uh turn the time forward about 10 more years same airline there's another layoff well what happens and actually it was about seven years sorry it was seven years later there's another layoff was another downturn in the economy well for me it didn't matter i was a super senior pilot And I actually made more money during the downturn because I had to work more hours because they started laying off people. And so, therefore, you know, in certain situations, a downturn for certain pilots causes them to make more money. It all depends on your situation. It's like musical chairs. You know, when the music stops, there's no chair for you. There's no job. And you might be waiting years before you wind up getting that job. So that's what my advice to you. This is, uh, if say today, let's pretend today we have a downturn, uh, the economy stops, there's no more hiring, etc. Would you still want to do this job? Uh, would you would you do this job if you know there was there's no hiring at the majors for another five years? Do you really enjoy this job that much? And that's what you have to look at. You know, are you doing this only for the money? Uh, or is it because uh, you actually really, really love flying? And that's kind of what happens. It weeds out some of the people that truly love flying, uh, but it also weeds out those people that have practical aspects of their life. I mean, if you just have children, you have a you know, roof over your head, uh, and you have to keep that roof there, you know what, and there's no aviation jobs, you have to jump out of the industry. I've seen it happen many, many times. So keeping a positive and realistic outlook towards the future I th- in the cyclical industry, again, plan for the worst, hope for the best, Do that through finance. Save your money. Also do that through your ratings by pursuing new ratings, getting as many hours as you can so that you can be competitive in the next downturn. So that's my advice for you. God, great question. These are awesome. I really appreciate that one. And don't forget feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. You can send me your questions and I love answering them here and I hope that's helped you as far as financial advice etc there's lots of websites out there Uh, I use uh, I like Rick Edelman there's uh, another couple of people out there that have columns etc and uh, they're they're absolutely awesome as far as getting out of debt and uh, and moving forward in your finances and we've had finance people on here just because of that because I can't talk finances the only advice I can give is save your money (laughs) and put as much money away as possible that that's about the best advice I can give Don't forget also to check out the links in this uh, podcast at the bottom, that YouTube video that I did, uh, watch that. We'll answer that question on a future episode. It talks about an arrival into uh, Los Angeles. If you're working on your instrument rating, getting ready for an interview, that's a good thing to watch. And also we'll have more interview courses coming up soon. Uh, if you're looking for your resume to be reviewed, if you're looking for some advice or you wanna have a plan or learn how to do a resume, we have some online courses there uh, as far as a resume is concerned. So aviationcareerspodcast.com slash courses. As always, like I say, if you, you really need to do something today, do something now to move forward in your career. We are looking at a time where there's so much hiring going on that uh, you know, you think that you can wait, but no, get in when you can because when a door slams closed during the next recession, you know, you may you wanna be on the other side. You wanna be the person that's actually working for the airline. So that's why I tell people that really, just in general in life, you really need to pursue what it is you want to do and pursue it now. But you don't want to have regrets and look at it, plan for your future, plan for it now. When you, when you stop listening to this, start thinking, give someone a call, give your spouse a call, your friends a call and say, hey, listen, I'm thinking of doing this. You know, what's your advice? Also, this is what I want to do to plan for the future for my career and my life. Well, folks, I really encourage you to do that right now. Do that today so you can move forward in
0: your career. We'll talk to you next episode, Safe Flying.